Hey everyone, welcome to the Gatekeepers Podcast. In this episode, John Padilla takes us through the stories of Exodus 17. If you want to know more about Gatekeepers, visit gatecityatl.com slash gatekeepers. Enjoy. Exodus 17, 1 through 7. So I'm going to read the passage. If you have your Bible open or app open, I'm just going to read verses 1 through 7 first. Some of these words like names are janky, so I'm just going to, you know, try my best. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rebdim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted for water and people grumbled. People grumbled against Moses and said, why do you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking you and some of the elders of Israel, and take him in the hand of the staff, which he struck now, and go. Behold, I will stand before you on the rock of Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah, because the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord amongst us or not? So again, this is expository preaching. We're going to be going verse by verse, and I'm going to give observations of what uh, appears to be observations from the Scripture. So I'm like, this is what I see in the Scripture. Um, so verse 1 says, All of the congregation of the people of Israel move forth from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped that read them. But there was no water for the people to drink. So uh, something that was really standing out to me when I was reading the scripture over the week was the place specifically where they camped. And they specifically camped at this place called Rhythm. I'm just butchering the names to just kind of get that out there. Uh, Rhythm. So that place specifically translate to the place of rest. If you search it up online, if you go to the Hebrew Bible, if you're like, what does this location mean? That place means place of rest. So you have the Israelites and they're traveling with Moses and they're going from place to place. And just for backtrack, Exodus 16, uh, the Israelites, they were begging for food and manna fell from the sky and they were getting fed from the sky and they were getting fed from the angels. So Exodus 17, Moses is leading them to another place and he led them to this place called Rhythm and that place translate as the place of rest. So that's really important. I want you to keep that in mind. So God, you could almost say that God brought the Israelites to a place of rest. Can everyone agree with that? You can agree with that's what it says. God brought them to a place, but it also says, but there was no water for the people to drink. So that seems very contradictory. If rhythm means place of rest, shouldn't there be water to drink? Right? So the place was called Rhythm. It's like, this is the place of rest. The Lord was leading them to a place of rest. But there was no water to drink. Or was there? Right? So Rhythm, uh, I want to read the description of what the place looked like. And uh, we assume because of the wilderness, you might have made a picture like, that they're somewhere out in the desert and it looks like Dubai and it looks like just hills of just sand. But that's not actually an accurate description of what it really looked like. So this is a description of what Redham looked like. So it is the most fertile part of the peninsula, well watered, with a palm grove stretching for miles along the valley. Palmer speaks, this is from a commentary, Palmer speaks of passing through the palm grove as a most delightful walk. The tall and graceful trees, affordable, delicious shade, fresh water ran at the feet, and above all, from branch to branch, uttering their sweet notes, 
It says, surrounded by sheep, shelving mountains, the fantastic beauty of the scene, such place of this would that is a such place like this was desirable for people to go. So that was a description of, of Redham, and uh, that's what it was known for. It was known for having water. And it was particularly like in this valley. So there was like it it was supposed to be flourishing. So when Moses was leading the Israelites and saying, hey, we're going to Redham, these people, they had their expectation like, okay, we're going to a place for water. We're going to a place where we'll be good. You know, we're in the wilderness still, but we'll be good. So um, the people in verse two, as you see, they started to complain. They started to complain that there's no water. There's no water here. So verse two, it says, therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and says, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? So these people were led by Moses. They were led to a place called Redham. Redham was this place known for having water, was known for, you know, valleys and luscious things. And it wasn't like the wilderness that you picture. And the people, they suddenly get there and they're like, where's the water? You know, like, where's the water? And, um, one of the points that I want to bring out of the scripture, sometimes God, he calls us to a place and he calls us to do something and we have an expectation for what it looks like. You're like, okay, hey, God calls you, for instance, go start a business. And then in your mind, you, have, you start having an expectation. Okay, I'm going to start a business. By year one, I'm going to make six figures. By year two, I'm going to start my second business. By year three, you know, I'm going to have 50 employees. It's going to be worldwide. But that's, that's really the way we think, right? Or at least maybe it's just me. And so God will call you. That's just an example to do something and you form an expectation what it looks like. So God specifically called the Israelites to follow Moses. Moses said, hey, we're going to Redham. And people, when they heard Redham, they assumed, bet, we're going to that place. There's going to be water there. We're going to be good. And as soon as they get there and their expectations are not met, they start freaking out and they're like, where's the water? Where's the water? You know, and uh, another thing is an observation that you can make from the scripture is that how reliant people are on leadership. Because if you read verse two, it says, it says the people quarreled with Moses. They didn't quarrel with God. They didn't say, God, why did you bring me here? They quarreled with Moses. So an observation that you could make, and you can even see this in the book of Kings, is that people naturally want a leader. They want someone to follow. And you, you see that in the book of Kings, and they, they wanted Moses, they wanted to follow Moses, but as soon as things start going bad, instead of turning to God, they're like, Moses, why'd you bring us here? Like, hey, it's your fault. Like, you brought us here. It's like, no, 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 I didn't bring you here. The Lord brought you here. Like, let's all ask the Lord, why, did, why is there no water? Right? Isn't that what we should do? We should all ask the Lord, why are things not prospering? But it's like, we're so quick to point fingers on leadership. We're so quick to point fingers on man. It's like, man, if maybe that person did it better. Maybe if that pastor did it better. Maybe if that leader did it better. Maybe if he worked a little bit harder. Maybe if he stopped doing all these other things I'm seeing on his Instagram. What if maybe if we start, maybe if he stops doing all this different stuff, then maybe we'll be prospering. So an observation I made is like, as you see in verse two, it says, why do you quarrel? Moses responds, he says, why are you quarreling with me? Like what, in other words, like, why are you arguing with me? It says, why do you test the Lord? Is this following answer? Because you're not arguing with me. It's, you're not arguing with leadership. You're arguing with God. And in the scripture, it was the Lord that led him to that place. And an observation I was going to say is that, you know, Moses, could have been easy for Moses to, respond back, please the people, and be like, man, I'm sorry, like, we shouldn't have gone here. But Moses, you know, he didn't take no credit. He didn't take credit as a leader. He took, he was like, you're not arguing with me. You're arguing with the Lord. You're arguing the Lord brought us here. Uh, another observation that you can make, right? So keeping track of the story, these people are led to Redham. 
which means the place of rest. They get there, and there's no water. So in verse 2, they start freaking out, and they start, like, flipping out on Moses. They're like, Moses, bro, why'd you bring us here? Why did you bring us to a place where there's no water? Literally, they start flipping out. And if you read the scripture in context, literally, Exodus 16, food was falling from heaven. Like, the Lord was sovereignly giving them food. And these people, like, that's, that's just so like our nature, where it's like, as soon as things start going bad, we forget about all the goodness of the Lord. We forget about the time that he came through with the finances. We, we forget about the time when you were depressed and he comforted you. The time that you felt alone and he was there. The time that, you know, all these, the goodness of God. And I, I don't say that, you know, like, I hope I'm not communicating the way where it's like, how dare y'all? Like, I'm in the same boat. Like, I'm preaching to myself here tonight. I'm, I'm hoping to receive what I'm saying through the observations of the scripture. But uh, I'm, I'm very guilty of that. As soon as things start going bad, I'm like, man, bro, Lord, I don't know if this was the Lord. I don't know, God. I don't know, Lord. You told me to do this, and there's not this. Lord, you told me to do missions, but there's not money. It's like, you know, it's like some of y'all that are in missions, like, okay, God called you to do missions, but then you start realizing, like, oh, yeah, they ain't really money in missions. And then you start tripping. You're like, Lord, they ain't money in missions. And you're like, I need to leave. And the Lord's like, what? You know, it's like, that's me. I've, I've been there a couple of times. I really have. An observation. Yeah, Kobe knows I've been there a couple of times. That's why he's laughing. <laughs> uh, another observation. I'm just going to speak from the heart. You know, I really haven't had a lot of time to really look at the scripture. So I really don't want to look down a lot. I will occasionally. Verse 3 says, but the people thirsted for water and people grumbled against Moses, said, why did you bring us to Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock? Well, it said, no, it said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock and our thirst? So, guys, do you remember when they were in Egypt? When they were in Egypt, they were literally slaves. They were oppressed. They didn't want to be there. But then as soon as God calls them out and they get delivered, and these, this is after the sea literally splits open. So the sea splits open in front of them. They get radically delivered from a place where they've been oppressed. So they experience freedom. And then as soon as things start getting hard, you know, God magically, like just sovereignly makes have, makes food come out of heaven to feed them. They see plagues before their eyes. They just see a radical deliverance. They see the manifest power of God. And as soon as things just start going hard, they start pointing at their leader and like, hey, why did you lead us here? And then they almost regret even being delivered in the first place. Like, oh, Egypt was better, man. Like, it was better when I was a slave. It was better when I was oppressed. And aren't we like that in a way? Aren't we like that? When we get delivered, I don't know what your guys' testimony is. I know some of y'all, but I, I used to do, you know, just a party and reckless stuff. And in moments of weakness, I'm like, man, like, ah, oh, man, that, that looked so good. But then I remember, I'm like, bro, that was not good at all. I was depressed. You know, I was anxious. I, I had a fear, man. I really cared what people thought of me. And I felt like I couldn't move from place to place. But as soon as, the point I'm trying to point, get across is as soon as things start getting bad, as soon as the finances are a little low, you know, you're like, oh, man, I don't know if I'm going to pay rent next month. As soon as, you know, like you start having to fall out, like there's some sort of, you know, trouble dynamic where it's like relationally and you're like, man, I'm kind of beefing with that other person. God called me to be with them, but kind of beefing with that other person. Like, I don't know if I'm supposed to be here. I don't know if I'm supposed to be here. As soon as things don't go as well as we expected it to, like maybe Lord called you to plan a ministry or to start a new assignment. And as soon as you get out of that phase, you know, that six-month phase, the, the exciting phase, they say the best part about starting something new is the first couple months because of all the excitement and all of the stimulation. And I'm like, this is how I am. It's like, I love starting new things. I love it. Like, I, that's my Achilles heel. I love it. And, you know, I, I, I will do it 
for four months, but then as, as soon as things start getting hard, you know, that question comes up, man, I don't know, Lord, why'd you bring me here? Why, like, why am I here? It was better where it was at before. And the point I'm trying to get across is like, that's us. That's us. That's who we are. Like, we complain as soon as things start getting hard. And we complain. We're like, God, did you even bring us here? We want to go back. So verse 4, verse 4 through 6 says, is everyone tracking so far? Thanks, Kobe. So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do to these people? Actually, let's backtrack a little bit. There's a couple points I'm looking at. So, um, so these people, they're chirping, right? They're like, they're like, why, why are we here? We should have been back in Egypt. Why are we here? A point that I wanted to get across was um, when things get hard, we question that we're there, right? We've already kind of hit that. But when things get hard, a lot of times we have limited perspective, right? So uh, I'll give you a story. When I was 18, 19, the Lord called me to do missions overseas. And at that time, you know, raising $5,000 seemed like a lot. Of, like a lot. And it, it, seemed, it is a lot, but it seemed like an impossible task. Because I had limited perspective of God's faithfulness. And I, had, I didn't really understand that, like, God, he's a provider and he's a refuge. And he actually comes through and he says who he is. And the point I'm trying to get across is that, you know, the Israelites, they were mad against Moses because they didn't understand the faithfulness of God. If they would have just sat for a minute and be like, okay, God came through there. He came through there. He came through there. He also came through yesterday. He came through there. It's like, oh, okay, I'm good. I'm good. I have the faith to get past this little trial. I have the faith to get past this little rut. But a lot of times, you know, our limited perspective and because things are so like things are so hot right now and things are just like so bad, like we don't see the faithfulness of God. So my advice for you, you know, if that's you and if you're in that season, if you're like, man, things are kind of things are kind of hard right now, I would advise you to just, you know, just sit before the presence and be like, God, what if you came through? List out all the times that he's came through for you. Like personally, it's really important that you keep track of your personal record with the Lord. You know, like corporate stuff's fun. Like when we all get down and we all worship together and we all hear from the word together, that's fun. There's time for that. But there, there's really a, a beauty in when you have your own personal history with the Lord. And it's a beautiful thing because um, Dustin once told me it's sort of like you're driving in the car and then you're looking at the rear view mirror of your life and you're seeing all the goodness that God has done in your life. And it's so important that we constantly have that in the back of our mind, especially when things get hard, especially when there's no water, especially when the Lord led you, led you somewhere and provisions out there, especially when you know, you're having that fallout with that person, especially when things are not you know, going as you expect this, like you got to take a moment, just chill and be like, God, when have you came through? Start listening them out and journal them. And even if you're not in that place, I would, I would still encourage you, you know, in your quiet time this week, uh, it's not homework or assignment or anything. I just, just encouragement as a brother, like list out all of the times that God has been good to you. And there's something beautiful in there. There's something beautiful when you have a remembrance of your own personal journey with the Lord. And it's like a love story. It's like, man, like I was down really bad and God came through. Then I was down really bad again. God came through. Then I was down really bad, even worse. And God came through, you know, and it's like as time develops and as you live history with the Lord, let me tell you something. I'm going completely off track. But let me tell you something. It's like having history with Jesus is the best thing ever. How many of you guys know that being a disciple should be fun? Like it, like it should be fun. And when you keep track of your own personal history with Jesus, when he's came through for you, 
when he provided that thing, you know, when when you pray that little small prayer, has this ever happened to anyone? You pray that little small prayer in secret, and then the Lord sovereignly makes it happen, and you didn't even tell another soul, and it just happened. That right there, I'll tell you right now, that's a little kiss from God. He's like, I, I see you, and I love you, and I care about our own story. That's beautiful. That's what I, that's what I live for, like that right there. I don't live for platform or ministry or what I do. I live for my own personal connection with God. And when he gives me that little kiss and when I look back at our story and I see all the trials and different things that we overcame and when he took me to other nations and when he told me to do something new and it started working and he told me to do something new and it didn't start working and he told me to form these connections years and decades. Like I want to get to the point in my life where I have decades of history with Jesus and I have decades of history where it's like, man, that's beautiful. That is what keeps you to the faith. That is what keeps you grounded to Jesus, your own personal story. Right, so write that down, really. That's like super important. Okay, so verse four to six, we got like 30 minutes left. So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. So again, people are tripping. They're like, they're like, man, where's the water at? And they're getting all mad at Moses. Like, where's the water at, yo? Like, where's the water at, bro? And then verse 4 says, And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, taking your hand the staff before you, which you struck the Nile, and go. Excuse me. Behold, I will stand before you on the rock of Horeb, and you shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it, and people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So uh, there's just a lot of juice there. There's a lot of revenue right there. First kind of observation I want to make was specifically the Lord told Moses, hey, bring your staff. You know, like, hey, bring your staff. We're about to make some shake. We're going to make something happen right now. And uh, observation I want to make is that the staff is representative for your history with God, right? It, you could easily, and just kind of hear me out of this. You're like, well, hear me out of this. Uh, the staff, if you think about it, the staff was given to Moses, and it was like, throw it on the ground and make it into a serpent. You know, he's like, use it to split open the sea. Use it for the plagues. And then now suddenly he's saying, hey, use that staff that you use for every other miracle again and use it to strike this rock. And out of this rock, it's going to come water. Think about how just ridiculous that sounds. Like, just think for a second how ridiculous that sounds. You're telling me from this rock, it's going to hydrate all of these hundreds of people. Now, it must have been a big rock, but still, like, think about how absurd that sounds. Like, dude, from this rock, like, you're just going to strike a rock, and you're telling me water's going to come out of it. And the point I'm trying to get across is, like, he particularly tells Moses, bring that staff that every other miracle happened. And I think that the staff is symbolism for the testimony of God's goodness. Because in every other, every other circumstance that Moses used it, it was testimony. It was God's goodness. It's not Moses. It's not Moses' anointing. It's not how great of a leader he is. It's God. The staff represents God. He says, hey, bring me. Bring that stick. Bring it with you. Bring me and strike it. And I think it's easy, especially when you're reading Old Testament, to look at Moses kind of like a junior Jesus. You're like, why did, why did Moses do all these miracles? Why was he so awesome? Why was he such a great leader? It's like, it wasn't him. It was God. And God was saying to Moses, hey, I don't want you. I want you and that stick. I want you and me. Let's go do it together. Bring you and me. And uh, another observation that he says in the scripture, he says, so he says, take in your hand the staff which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you. So he's saying, hey, take your staff. Let's go to this rock. And when you get there to that rock, I'll be right there. So he, he makes a little double whammy. He makes a little double emphasis like, 
Moses, it ain't you. Bring that staff, right, that I put power through and come to that rock and I will be there and I will make water come out of it. And it's so easy. Like if you, if you read the scripture and you're just like, man, Moses was so anointed, bro. Like he just, like he just struck something and water started coming out. It's like, no, it was oh God through Moses. Another observation I, I want to make, like we made the observation that these people, they wanted water and they, they wanted something to drink. They were thirsty. They were in lack of that. And God was going to make the impossible happen. So he was going to strike a rock and make water sovereignly come out of it. So he was going to make a way where there was no way. And he was going to make provision come where there was no provision at all. And the observation that I, I want to make, because you remember in the beginning, I said that the Lord sovereignly brought him to the place of Redham. And what did we say Redham means? Can anyone tell me? Place of rest. So the people knew that, that, hey, this was the place of rest. But as soon as things started getting hard, like, no, 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 this ain't it. This ain't it. Fall back. We got to go back. Because there was lack of provision. And then God was like, okay, okay, cool. Y'all, y'all all, like, y'all are all flipping out right now. Boom, I'm going to make water come where there was no water, sovereignly. So the question to ask for you was, my observation of the last couple of verses was, there was water there. You know, there was, even though the scripture says that there is no water, like physically, I really think that there was no water. But I think if the people had faith of knowing that God is good, they wouldn't have flipped out as much as they did. They would have been like, man, God came through so many different times before. Yeah, there's not water right now, but there will be. Does that make sense? Yeah, there's not, there's, there isn't physically water that I see, but there will be. Yeah, the provision's not there yet to, to go to school, to be the doctor. But if the Lord called you to be that, there will be. Yeah, the money's not there yet to, you know, go to Kenya and be a missionary. But there will be. Yeah, I haven't had the, the relationships, the connections, you know, to, to plant this ministry and plant this church, but there will be. So does that speak to anyone right now? I hope it's, because it, it's not coming from me, it's coming from God. And there's dreams, really, hear me, hear me as your brother. Don't hear me as a leader. I don't want to be seen as a leader. But those dreams desires in your heart, those things that the Lord's spoken to you, he says, you're going to do that. And you're like, you're over here just anxious and worried. You're like, I don't see a way right now. There's no water right now. I want to tell you, there will be. There will be water. That path will be formed for you. If God called you to do that, there will be water. Amen? Come on, Jesus. Ain't John. Because I'm, I'm preaching to myself, man. I really, I need to know that for myself. Let's just sit in that really quick. If the Lord called you to do something and gave you a call, if you're in that season where you're just like, the water's not there yet, there will be. Jesus. I need to know that, Jesus. Thank you, God. So, Moses, he struck the rock, right? And the water came forth. He had a plan all along. Verse 7. This is really interesting because, again, we say that the Lord specifically led him to the place of Redim, which means what? It's important. Place of rest. Look at your Bible. Look what number verse 7 says. It says, he called the name of the place Masa and Meribah because the quarreling of the people and because they tested the Lord is the 
And by, they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord amongst us or not? Well, that seems contradicting because wasn't it Redham? Why is it this now? So there was a name change, right? It no longer was the place of rest. It was the place where the people tested the Lord because they didn't have the faith that God was going to give them rest. Does that make sense? So originally, the Lord sovereignly brought him. I'm going to bring you to this place of rest. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to be your refuge. I'm going to give you everything. I've called you to be here. It's your assignment. If I called you to be here, then I'll provide for you to be here. And as soon as they started wiling out and they started asking, man, like, God really didn't come through, was when the name change happened. And the name change happened. It says, yeah, this, ain't, this is no longer the place of rest no more. This is the place where the people tested the goodness of God. Because what does the scripture say? The, the scripture says, because they tested the Lord, they didn't test Moses. Moses wasn't responsible. Let's just get this straight for any of you guys that are just dependent on leadership. I have been in seasons. Your leadership is not responsible for you. The Lord is. They steward you to some extent. So there's some level of responsibility. But ultimately, you're in God's hands. So the people, they start, they start tripping out on Moses. They're like, Moses, where's our water at, bro? You're supposed to be our leader. Where's our water at? And because they didn't understand the goodness of God and they didn't understand that God was actually going to come through, that place went from the place of where they were going to rest that to a place where literally the name changes. This is the place where my people tested me. That's what God said. Um, some interesting scriptures, like in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 6, 16, you don't have to pull there, but just, just listen. It says, you shall, or you can if you want to double check, you shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Masa. So that's the place where the name changes happen. At Deuteronomy 9, 22, at Masa, you provoked the Lord to wrath. What does that mean? That God got angry at his people when he was like, man, like, and don't hear me wrong. But God, God and his goodness to be a father, think about this, God as a father, he wants to provide for you. He wants to give you everything. If he called you to do something, he called you to be there at that place of rest, he wants to provide for you. He called you to do it, he will fund it. He says that the people, they provoked, they provoked the Lord to anger. Not because they were disobedient, because let's get it straight, they were, they were obedient, they were there but because they didn't have the faith. Does that make sense? They provoked the Lord to anger because they didn't have the faith that God was actually going to come through, that they didn't have perspective that God was actually a good God, that he's actually good. He's actually a father. He's not a slave master. You know, he's not, he's not a boss. He's a father. Does that make sense? Does that, do y'all understand that? If he's a father, that means that that there is goodness for you, that there's a seat at the table for you, that if he called you to be there, there's a place for you, and there's a table prepared for you. Amen. So we got about like 13 minutes left, but we're really getting to the juicy part. Exodus 17, 8 through 16. I love this. Like, I really love this passage of scripture. It is so impactful for me. I'm I'm excited to share it just so I hear myself share it. Because it's just, it like, it really ministered to me. It really touched my heart. And it really, it really like touched my heart in such a special way where I, I just remembered just the goodness of God. So let's read the whole passage really quick. Exodus 17, it's verses 8 through 16. It says that out, and again, I'm just butchering these names, so don't get mad at me. Uh, it's a little side note. I was in speech therapy when I was when I was younger, so that's like double whammy. <laughs> the Almec, he came and fought with the Lord at Redham. So Moses said to Joshua, "Choose for us men and go out and fight with the Almec. Tomorrow, tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand." So Joshua, so Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with the Almec. While Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill, whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. Whenever he lowered his hand, Alma prevailed. 
But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and they put it under him. And he sat on it while, Mo- while Aaron and Hur held up his hands one by one and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Almuk and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in the book and recite it to the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Almuk from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called it. The name of the Lord is my banner, saying, A hand of the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with all men from generation to generation. So it's helpful. What I just shared for the last, like, 30-ish minutes, that's one part of the story. Then what I'm about to share is the second part of the story. So two different circumstances that kind of helps you. Um, So the first instant, just to recap, they were led to a place. God led them there. They started wilding out and they started, you know, like freaking out because there wasn't water. God sovereignly made water come out of a rock. And then, you know, that was pretty much the all of the story. And then all the stuff I shared. And then this is the second part of the story now. So there's this people group and they're called Almig. And these people group are mad at the Israelites. Because, remember, they were led to the place of Redham. And Redham was this place that was really prosperous. Like, it, it wasn't prosperous in wealth. There wasn't a city. That's not what I'm trying to say. So don't get the wrong picture. But in the desert, because remember, they're in the desert. They're in the wilderness. This was the most promising place. This was the place that if there was going to be water in the desert, it was going to be that place. That if there was going to be just a little, you know, what is it called when there's a like an oasis, like if there was going to be an oasis anywhere, it was going to be that place. So in history, like a lot of people really specifically wanted that place. And this is where the Israelites were. So verse one, or Exodus 17, verse eight and nine, says, then Alma came and followed Israel at Redom. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go, go out and fight with Alma. This is really cool. This is so cool. This is cool because this is the first time that Joshua is mentioned in the Bible. Uh, Like, literally, Joshua, this is the first incident. If you look it up, this is the first verse that Joshua pops up in the Bible. And the first verse that Joshua pops up in the Bible is that when he's being commissioned to war, when he's being empowered to go to war, when his spiritual father and his spiritual mother says, mother says, I believe in you, you can do this. I, I just think that's really cool. And I'll kind of unpack it a little bit. Why? So this is the this is the first verse, right, where Joshua is mentioned in the Bible. And Joshua, for you guys, for those of you guys that know, Joshua is in the following book after Moses. He's the one that overtakes Moses. So you know, I don't I don't want to give too much spoilers, but Moses he doesn't make it. He doesn't get to go to the Promised Land. That might be a big one, but he doesn't make it. And Joshua actually ends up being the guy that leads them. And I find it just, I'm just kind of geeking out just a little bit myself, but like I find it really stinking cool that the first verse that Joshua was mentioned in the Bible was Moses saying, hey, I believe in you. You can do this. Go find some men. Find and, and lead the battle and go fight them. I just think it's so cool. I think it's so cool. So observation I want to make was that I said that this is the first time Joshua was mentioned in the Bible, right? So you have this guy, Moses, who's been leading up to this point, who is a perfectly great leader. He has his flaws. He has temper tantrum. He's kind of, he just, you know, he has his things. He's not a perfect leader, but he has his things. There comes, and this just happened after that whole swirl where people were flipping out that there wasn't water. And out of nowhere, this young guy named Joshua just there. He's just, he's, just, he's just watching the whole thing. He's watching the whole story unfold after him. And if you read later on in the scripture, it says that Joshua was the assistant of Moses. So they were like besties. That was his disciple. That was the guy that was, you know, Moses' ride or die. Like they, they were there together in ministry till the end. And I find it so cool. Like it's just amazing. It speaks to me volumes that Moses, 
gets to speak to the heart of Joshua in that moment. And he says, yeah, I could lead this battle right now. I could. Now, I'm paraphrasing, right? That's not what the scripture says. He's like, yeah, I could lead this battle if I wanted to. But I think you could. Go find a man and go lead this battle for me. Isn't that awesome? That's like, that's valuable. That's what discipleship should look like. Discipleship should look like, yeah, I could do this. Yeah, I could be in the spotlight, but I'd much rather you be in the spotlight. I'd much rather, I'd much rather champion your calling. I'd much rather see you prosper than me. Guys, that is what Christian leadership should look like. Christian leadership should look like, I don't even want to be up here. Like, I want someone else to be up here. I don't, I don't want to be in the battle. Joshua, I believe in you. I see you. Yeah, you're young. Did you guys know Joshua wasn't even a warrior to this point? He was just Moses' assistant. So he had no experience in war. But Moses said, you're my guy. I see you. Go lead. Go into battle. Um, observation. Guys, give me to like 9, 10. I'll finish this up in 15 minutes. Y'all good for that? Hopefully. Um, so, yeah, I just find it so cool that Moses got to look at this young guy. And he was like, dude, you have no experience. You're not even a warrior. But I love you. And go do it. Like, just go do your thing. Go lead. Go lead the charge. That's so valuable. And I want to encourage us, like, we can do that for the younger generation. We can do that for the kids. When you get to look at a child, that's why I love little kids ministry plug. Like, if you want to come serve on Sunday, it's really fun. That's why I really enjoy serving with the kids. Because I get to look at little Andres, who's four years old, and be like, bro, you have so much life ahead of you. Like, you, like you're going to be great. It's, don't you wish that was what you got when you were younger? Some of y'all didn't get that. Some of y'all did. Some of y'all like did. And I got that. Um, but it's like, I remember how valuable it was for me when I had older people speak in my life and call something out of me that I never saw in me. When I had older people look at me and be like, you can do this. And I'm like, I really can't. Like, you can do this. I'm like, I really can't. You can do this. I just messed up. You can still do this. Like, that was like, that's happened a variety of times. And it's just so powerful. That's what Moses had the opportunity to do with Joshua. He had to look him eye to eye and says, you can lead this battle. You got it. So observation I want to make about Joshua, there was two specific commands that Moses gave to Joshua. If you observe the scripture, again, we're in Exodus 17, verses 8 through 9. He says, he says, choose for us, men, and go fight in the battle of Almec. So again, they're about to enter this war with Almec because Almec wants the land that the Israelites are at. Moses, he looks at this young guy named Joshua, and he says, yeah, you have no warrior experience. And he gives him two commands. He says, go find the people that are willing to fight with you and then lead them. Hear me out on this point. Sometimes God, this observation, sometimes God will call you to do something, but he needs you to go find the people that will join you because you need people to join you on the journey. Sometimes God will call you, hey, go start a business, right? And the, the command is almost the same. It's like, go find the people, go find the brothers and sisters, go find the accountant, go find the CEO, go find the person that would be flying planes, go find them. And then he gives a second command to Joshua, he says, and then you lead them. And leadership is not you just in front, you know, you're just in front, you're getting all the credit. Leadership is you find all those people, you find the accountant, you find this, you find that person. That's like God calls you to plant a church. Hey, you find the kids pastor, you find the youth pastor, you find, you know, the CEO, you find lead pastor. And then he says, you go lead them. Because again, think about it. They're going into battle. They're going into war. So a leader is not in the back. He's in the front in the most vulnerable position, right? Because they're going into war. You know, those cool movies where Captain America's in the front or, 
you know, like all these leaders are in the front. The reason why they're in the front is because that's the most vulnerable position. That's you're experiencing all the hits. You're getting the hits first. So if God calls you to do something, he's calling you, go find the people. Let's do it together. Let's do it as a spiritual family. Let's go do it. And then you go take the hits first. You take all the burdens of leading first. Um, second point I want to make, and I kind of touched on this a little bit. It's just so beautiful, man. I, like I could, I could sit in this for a little bit. Like I could just sit in this for a long time and just really geek out on it. But it was just so beautiful that Moses had the trust and faith just to be like, Joshua, there's a belief in you. I believe in you. I just want to, you know, I don't know if it's really hitting y'all like, like it hits me, I get really touchy in that subject because that's my story. My story is I came here randomly. You know, Abel, he's actually back there. He's the one that brought me to church. And I had, you know, several people just look at me in the eye and say, John, I believe in you. Yeah, you've messed up. I remember this one time, and we can we could sit here and talk about my mistakes all night. We really can but there was this one time that I was about to join the missions org here. And the night before, like a couple of nights before, I really messed up bad. Like I messed up really bad. And I just kind of backslid a little bit. And it was the Sunday before the school started. And <laughs> this is so funny, Mikhail, you might have been there. Uh, we were having Sunday services at that point, like evening services. And they were doing baptisms. And I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit so bad that I kind of backslid a little bit. So I got up there in front of like a couple hundred people, got on the mic. I remember Pastor Jeff was there baptizing people. I was like, dude, I just, I won't say what I did, but I was like, I listed it all out in front of those hundreds of people. And then, <laughs> and Casey in the back, I don't know where he's at now, but Casey was just like, he was just looking at it. He was like, <laughs> And I, and I got baptized, and Jeff, he, like, pulled me aside. Like, maybe it was either that night or, like, the following day, and he was like, bro, like, you good? <laughs> I was like, and I, essentially, essentially what happened, and this is kind of something that happens to me. I have this tendency to kind of, like, over-exaggerate stories. So I did backslid. I did backslid, but I made it sound, like, ten times worse than what it actually was. So Jeff, when he baptized me, he was like, he thought I completely went off grid. Like I was just like, screw this place. And I did like all the worst things. So it's just a little funny thing. And I, I share that story to say is like, there's dozens of other instances where I've done like, you know, bad things and like just things that just, you know, just grown. And I've had leaders around here look at me and shepherd me and look me in the eye and say, Dude, you're not fired. You're, you're still here. Like, you're like, we love you. You know, like, we, I believe in you. And I'm not saying that, that there was, like, wasn't any consequences or there wasn't, like, level of discipline because it definitely was. Not that we're, like, letting things slide. But, like, that, that did something to me. And it still does something to me when I have leaders around me say, like, we love you through all the mess. We love you. Yeah, you're dealing with that. We love you. And I'm going to love you through that. And I'm going to champion through that battle. Um, so, kind of going off grid with the notes, my advice to you would be find fathers and mothers, spiritual fathers and mothers. Find people that can shepherd you, that can do that to you. I think the biggest level of disconnect at our age is that, you know, it's either one or two things. It's two things primarily I've discovered with kind of our age group. One, everyone wants to be discipled, mentored by the head guy, by the lead pastor. Because they assume that the lead pastor or he's important and he has all the answers. And that he's the anointed one and he's the only one that could mentor me. I'm here to tell you that's false. That's not true. You know? And, you know, John Duffy, who's an usher on Sunday, 
has discipled me and he sat down with me with some hard seasons and it was great. And Donato Vasquez, who, you know, just happens to be the husband of the children's director here, has spoken life of me and it was great. But also, you know, other people have that happen to be in leadership here as well. But the point I'm trying to make across, you don't need to be discipled by the head guy. You don't need to be discipled by Casey directly. And he won't tell you that because that's like hard. And Casey really has a golden heart to like love you guys. But you don't need Casey. What you need is just find spiritual fathers and mothers. And I would say that the second disconnect that happens is older people, they really want to connect with young people. Like they really do. Like, they really do. They want to have you over. They want to have you for a coffee. They want to cook a meal for you. That's older people's heart for young people. It's like, you would not understand the amount of young, older people that are like, hey, let's come around. Hey, let's be, you know, this stuff, you know? And like, they really have a heart to connect with younger people. The problem is that older people feel like younger people want nothing to do with them, you know? And, and if you're truthfully honest... At least some of y'all in the room, it's not every one of y'all. Sometimes we have that thought where it's like, man, that's old school. Like, they they did things old school. I got this on my own. God called me to do this thing. I got this. I don't need no advice from no one. I don't know. that's, That's not biblical. God is so much in family. He's so much, hear me out on this, he is so much in generations. God is a God of generations. He wants to speak. He wants to speak through the littlest amongst us, and he wants to speak through the oldest amongst us. He wants to speak through all of us. So my advice would be find spiritual mothers and fathers that can walk with you and empower you like Moses did Joshua. And you may be asking, because I, I, hear, I hear it. Some of y'all may be asking like, well, where can I find them? I've tried reaching out to Casey multiple times. You could find him in house churches. You could find him, you know, guy on aisle three who happens to own a business but is not a leader in the church. You could find him. Ask him. Go up to him. Be like, hey, I see similar values in both of us. Will you mentor me? Have the courage to ask an older person, like, will you go have coffee with me? We have a lunch with me. You know? Like, and there's something, there's something in us, too, where it's like, Man, like, I don't want to do that. I know I'm supposed to have a mentor. I know maybe some of y'all don't know you're supposed to have a mentor and y'all are kind of getting revelation now, like, oh, I should. And some of y'all know that you're supposed to, but you're taking the stance like, I ain't going to do it unless they invite me first. I, I'm, not gonna, I'm not going to reach out to, I'm not going to get discipleship, mentorship from this person unless they initiate all the time. Unless they come, you know, unless they pay for all of the meals, unless they invite me to their home with their children. And we have expectations for what discipleship should look like. We have expectations for what our pastor should look like. We have expectations for what our leaders should look like. Leaders, like leadership. And what I'm trying to tell you is like, hey, if you recognize you need a spiritual mentor or a father or mother, have the courage to go up to someone like an usher or guy on aisle three, you know, a house church leader, and maybe a pastor, have the courage and be like, hey, I feel a connection. Let's, let's go out for a coffee. And that will save you so much. It will save you. Because I've had instances where I've almost done some gnarly stuff and like just borderline stuff. And I have the accountability in my life where I'm like, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. And they'll be like, you're dumb for doing that. Don't do that. Oh, yeah, you're right. And they gave me like some insight where it's like, you know, they just have life experience. They have years and decades on you. They've lived what we've lived out. You're actually wise to go to an older person and be like, hey, you know, let's, let's talk about this together. Let's, I'm thinking about dating this girl. Like, what was your experience like? How should I ask her out? I'm thinking about, you know, Going to college. Did you take out a loan? Did you pay for it out of pocket? They're just life questions that you have. Um, we have a couple of verses left. Verse 
Exodus 17, verse 9 through 10, it says, Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill. So again, recalling that all up, that Moses looked at Joshua, said, Joshua, lead the Israelites in battle. These people, group called the Almec, they want to fight because they want the land that we're at. Moses, Joshua, I believe in you. Go lead this battle. And then Moses was like, okay, I'm going to go to the top of the hill. Me, Aaron, and her, we're going to go be up there. Joshua, you go do your thing up down there. It's easy. So let's read the scripture. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill. So Moses was saying, I'm going to be at the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Joshua did as Moses told him, fought with Almec. While Moses, Aaron, and her went to the top of the hill. It's easy. Situation. You're, you found a spiritual mentor or mother, father or mother. You know, you found someone's kind of discipling you. You're going through this battle. You're doing this assignment. And you're like, dude, they're not in the dirt with me. They're not in the battle with me. They've, they've left me. Maybe y'all haven't had that situation. I've had that a couple of times because I'm really tight with a lot of older people. And sometimes I really feel like I'm going through it. Like I'm in the battle. I'm Joshua. I'm, I'm in the battle. Like I'm doing all the, the groundwork. And then I'm like, man, like where y'all at? Like y'all not even joining me for my thing. Like you tell me this thing is super important, but y'all not even here. You know, and like, it's about perspective. Just because Moses, Aaron, and her weren't in the fight physically on the ground level with Joshua doesn't mean that they're not in the fight with you. So a lot of time, the disconnect happens with older people. It's like, man, they're not even in the stage of life that we're in. Like, why should I listen to them? They're not even starting the business. Why should I even listen to them? They're not even helping me with, with this ministry. Why should I even listen to them? Moses, Aaron, and, and her, they were in a lifted place. That's what the scripture says. It says, hey, we're going to go to a lifted place. What does that sound like? Moses, Aaron, and her says, Joshua, you go fight. We're going to go to a lifted place. An observation I want to make is that these, they were in prayer for Joshua. They were in intercession for Joshua. That while Joshua was on the ground fighting with the troops, Moses, Aaron, and her so that it lifted the rod and they were interceding for Joshua. That older people, the older generation, they want to invest in us, but sometimes they can't be physically in the fight with you. Because think about it, if the older person was in the fight with you, it wouldn't be your fight. You wouldn't be leading it. If that pastor was leading the ministry instead of you, where if he was there in the room where you were, you wouldn't be leading he would be leading. And he's trying to empower you to go lead. Does that make sense? So sometimes the older generation, they're in a lifted place. We're on the ground level doing the heavy work. Some of y'all call the missions. Your pastor's not going with you. That doesn't mean that he doesn't love you. He doesn't care about you. He's went to a lifted place to plead for you, to ask God for you. He's went to a lifted place to maybe provide funds for you to go. He's went to a lifted place because, again, Joshua, he's on the ground level doing this, doing the battle. He's went to a lifted place to see the whole field, to see greater perspective, to give you orders from the front and from, from the top. Be like, hey, don't go that way. Go this way. Uh, observation I want to make. Let me kind of wrap this up. Observation I want to make. We kind of touched on this a little bit. So the staff of God, right? This is really kind of cool too. You can kind of geek out about this. Maybe y'all won't. But staff of God happens to be this wooden stick. And it just happens to be this wooden stick. And Moses says, I'm going to go up to the top of the hill and I'm going to lift this wooden stick. What does that sound like? The cross. The cross that Jesus died on. Like, that's like, that is so cool. It's like Moses, and it says that every time that he would lift his stick, that he would lift his staff, that Joshua would win. That every time that the staff would be lowered, that he would lose. Right? It's like, that's so cool that every time the staff is symbolic for the cross in this passage, 
And every time that we exalt Jesus and we make Jesus king over the assignment that he's commissioned us to do, we prosper. We win. I've never seen the righteous forsaken. We win. That if there's a battle that the Lord's called you to and you say, this is in the Lord's hand, this is his assignment, we win. We've already automatically won. But every time that we start acting in the flesh, we're like, man, the cross ain't that important. I can do this in my strength. I got this battle. Man, I'm talented. I could definitely got this battle. We start losing advantage. So if the Lord's called you to do something, he says, hey, go do, go do missions. Okay, I'm going to exalt Jesus the whole way through. He's king. He's king. That's how we're going to win this battle. If he's called you to go start a nail salon, okay, I'm not going to operate in my own wisdom. I'm going to operate in he's king. God, what do we do? That's how you win battles. That's how you win battles saved. You know, unsaved people, they win battles in the flesh. To kind of wrap up. Oh, no. Casey said this would happen. Ah, let's see. He did say what happened. It's funny. Verse 12 to 13 says that Moses' hands started growing worried. So he was, he was lifting his staff from the elevated place. His hands started getting all wobbly. He's like, man, like, this is hard. Because he, he was commissioned to exalt Jesus. He was commissioned to hold his staff above to win the battle for Joshua. His hands started getting all wobbly. So then what's really cool was that the two people that he was with, his rider dies, Aaron and her right there, besties of pals. It's like, we got you. We're going to hold your hands up for you. Observation I want to make, I want to just summarize this in a couple minutes. Observation I want to make is that, hey, we're not called to that battle alone. We're not called to that assignment alone. And the Lord, he has he is killed that thing inside of me where I'm like, man, I'm going to do this. He has killed every ounce of that inside of me. And there have been seasons in the past where I'm like, I got this. I can do this in my own strength. And the Lord is like, no, you can't. No, you can't. No, you can't. Your hand's starting to get wobbly. If your hand's starting to get wobbly, he's like, nah, I'm going to provide for you, Aaron and her, and they're going to lift up your hands for you. Observation I want to make, it's like we're called to this thing together. We're called to this thing as a spiritual battle. If the Lord's called you to go to nursing school, Grab a couple pals. Let's go through it together. Grab a couple friends. Hey, we're in this thing together. Check in weekly. Yo, how's the exam? How was the exam? If the Lord's calling you to go to the army, grab a couple pals. Yo, you kind of been gone. You ain't been to church. How everything going? That's what we're called to. I want to make another observation right here. I want to make an observation. This is preference. Um, this one's really preference. And it's a value of mine. A value of mine is it's more about who I'm doing it with than what we're doing. You know, so it's like, yeah, there's a lot of battles. And kind of hear me out on that. That's like church language. But I would much rather, you know, do ministry or do an assignment with my rider dies, with my boys, than some people I don't really know. That's just my preference. That's kind of the observation I mean, I'm not saying that's scripture. That's my preference. And I see it in the scripture. And I'm not saying that that's, you know, how it should be. I'm saying that's my preference that when things start getting hard, Moses, he had his rider dice that he, they're going to lift up the hands for him. Another kind of cool thing. It says that Moses, his hands grew worry. And it says that Aaron and her, they put them on, they put him on a rock, which is just kind of a cool correlation too, because the rock who else calls himself a rock? Jesus. He says, I am a solid foundation. And what's cool was that when Moses started getting tired and he started, he had this assignment and things started getting tired that his friends were like, yo, sit down on this rock real quick. So the point I'm trying to make, when things get hard, your friends, your good friends in the faith should be like, yo, let's rest in Jesus real quick. Let's sit down. Let's take a step. Let's go in the presence. You wilding out. Let's go in the presence real quick. That's what your friends should say. I want friends to tell me, yo, let's get in the prayer room. Let's put all that on pause. Let's go in the prayer room. That was Kobe for me for a couple of seasons. Um, 
Yeah. Just to wrap up, because we're really over time. I didn't realize we'd go over. I actually thought I had, I didn't have a lot of material. Uh, so this is weird. Exodus 17, 15 to 16, it says, write this in the memorial book. So essentially, just to paraphrase it, it says that the battle, battle was won. Joshua won the battle. Moses, he was holding. He was from a lifted place. Joshua won the battle. And then the Lord spoke to Moses. He said, write this down. Write all oh, everything that happened and recite it to Joshua. Isn't that cool? That that was the first time Joshua was mentioned. He was empowered. He actually won the battle. He wasn't even a warrior beforehand. He was an assistant, a servant of Moses. He won the battle. Then the Lord speaks to Moses. He says, bro, right? Everything just happened. That way you can remind Joshua when he doesn't have faith, when he's not strong, what just happened to give him, to give him encouragement. so much for listening. We hope that this message ministered to you and that the Lord met you. You can follow us on Instagram at gatekeepersatl. We'll see you in the next episode.